What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for a very special Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can find me over on Twitter slash X uh, over at Joe Orico 99, and you can find all the rest of our fantasy baseball content here at Sports Ethos from the Ethos Fantasy BB account. The guys put in a lot of hard work this year. They get a little bit of time off to start the offseason, but we're going to be right back on the horse uh, over the next couple of weeks, getting you guys ready for 2024, looking back on 2023, and having a lot of fun there. Uh, and if you're not on social media, you guys can go to sportsethos.com. We're bringing on a very special guest, somebody who's been on the show many times before, a good friend within the industry, Mr. Casey Bubba. You guys know him from the various podcasts and articles that he puts out. Hell of a guy, hell of a fantasy player, and hell of an analyst. Great to see you again, Bubba. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. Thanks for having me again. Great to see you, too. Uh, looking ready to chop it up. As, uh, 2023 might be in the rear view, but we just keep on chugging along like we talked about before the show. So uh, thanks for having me back once again. Oh, it's great to talk with you. We're going to be seeing each other in person uh, down in Arizona. Actually, like we said, within a month, less than a month, uh, we'll be down there. If you guys haven't signed up yet, go down. Uh, to Arizona, check out some of the fall league games, enjoy uh, some of the great company uh, from the guys that go down there. We'll be down there uh, playing golf, doing a lot of great things. So make sure you guys uh, can check it out if you are able to. But today we have a fun one planned. We're going to be looking back on 2023, probably going to do this a couple of different times from a couple of different angles, but we're going to start it off here with some of the big general concepts, some of the big takeaways from the season. Did you have one or maybe two, whatever comes to mind, big takeaways from the season as a whole? Anything that really stood out to you off the top of your mind? Uh, it's, well, besides the topics we'll talk about, because those are the, the main ones for sure, but not really. I guess the biggest thing is we always joke about it is be patient. It's a long season, and this year is like an insane grind because every week with it was just another group of you know young players we'll talk about, and just fab was, was chaotic as I'll get up, and it was it was always something it felt like i said there's really no downtime this season so uh be patient would be the biggest thing but we'll we'll hit on the the really big things here on, on this show that uh i'm still trying to wrap my head around and I, I think i've talked about it on a few shows we'll talk about it here i think my answer is probably different everywhere i go because the more i look at it the more i think about it um it, it was a, it was a crazy year this past year especially the way things changed yeah there was a lot um even just from 2022 to 2023. But I know like if you look at several year trends, uh, a lot of things are very different. Some of that has to do with the rule changes. Some of that has to do with just the game changing, but it's kind of a, a different landscape uh, of fantasy baseball than we've seen over the last couple of years. The number one thing I saw a couple of accounts talking about this. Now that we have final totals on the season, there were 2,486 steals in 2022. There were 3,500 in 2023, almost a thousand more steals I'm really not sure if this is going to be something that we see just continue to increase. Our team is going to continue to take advantage of the new rules. Our, on the other side of the coin, our team is going to get more accustomed to not being able to throw over as much and our steals going to go down in general. Uh, I, I honestly really don't know. That's why we're kind of starting the process early here. So we have the whole offseason to kind of digest these topics. But what's your initial thought? Do you think that the stolen base trends we saw this year, guys going for 60, 70 bombs, are we going to see that continue to happen? I think so. I think I think the stolen base thing is real because as long as they have the bigger bases and the the rules behind, you know, the pitch clock and the you can only throw over so many times. I, I don't see how it's going to change uh, unless they somehow uh, shrink the throw from home to second. That's the only thing that that would make sense. That's never going to happen. So it'll it'll be really interesting to see how that takes place. The, the fun thing is though is 
this discussion we were having last year is like, what's this new rule going to do to the stolen base landscape? And everyone's like, oh, it'll just kind of be universal or this, that, or the other. When in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't universal as much as we thought. It was, uh, and some smart people said this even in the offseason last year, um, it was the elite Steelers stole more bases. And you just, you like look at the the league leaders, like we know Kennedy did his thing. But Esther Ruiz had 67, and he, we, we literally know him for his speed. Corbin Carroll, Bobby Witt, C.J. Abrams, like these are guys we know to steal bases. There's really no surprises, I would say. Um, like even Willie Castro sold 33 bags, but in the grand scheme of things, he is a steals guy. It wasn't like it came out of complete nowhere. So pretty much all the names, at least in the top you know, 30 or so, are all guys we expected to steal bags, and they got some more on top of it. We didn't get a bunch of surprises. Like Miguel Cabrera didn't steal 15 bases, like stuff like that. So I think that's just kind of going to be the landscape from here on out. It'll be fun, obviously, because I, I could look dumb like I do many times. And next year, if we're somehow down a thousand steals, but I think we'll be in that like at least 3K, if not closer to 35 every single season for now. I don't know. We can't, we can't really know this, but maybe, and, and I think the league generally probably wants to see more steals. It does add more excitement to the game. So my first thought was maybe they'll do something to curb that a little bit, but maybe that wouldn't be so great for them in the, in the grand scheme of things. There used to be when I was first following baseball, in like the early 2000s, that guys would go for 70 steals. It'd be Scott Pitsednik and there'd be Jose Reyes and there'd be certain guys who would pop off those crazy numbers. And then there was kind of a downturn and it did kind of coincide with maybe the popularity of the game waning a little bit. Uh, some other sports gaining a little bit more popularity and it's not directly tied to steals of course but maybe that's one of those things where people will tune in and it is an exciting play uh, that we didn't really have so much over the last couple of years and now you got Acuna going for what was it 73 steals this 73, year yeah. uh, it's it's crazy when you're I know you're going through rankings I'm not sure if you go through and do like individual projections do you think we will see Acuna in particular get to that same number again do you think he'll kind of tail off a little bit will teams maybe pitch out a little bit more, do what they can to just stop that because it's just such a ridiculous rate. Do you think we're going to see him reach it again? I think that it, it, that's just natural regression, the fact of like, is he only going to strike out 11% of the time? Is he going to hit 337 again? I think those numbers kind of come back to more reality, maybe even even if he gets closer to 300, which is amazing, that's a lot less chances to be on base. And so the guys at the top, top, um, then again, Ruiz should still – run like crazy but like Acuna should fall back a bit you look at a couple guys that that will fall or should fall but on the flip side like I said Ruiz Corbin Carroll why wouldn't he run Bobby Wood Jr like some of these dudes are just born to run so um it, it, it'll be interesting to see what like what you're saying but I think the game wants the steals because the whole point of the, all these rules changes which we will somehow discuss one way or another here was to increase offense and the idea of stealing bases that'll take out double plays that'll do other things so they want this to have like baseball has to be so excited that they can give out a piece of metal at the end of this year because of these rules they've been making so yeah mm -hmm. one guy i'm going to be really interested in just looking at the, the raw steals total is ellie Dela cruz yeah he stole 35 bases in 98 games nobody else who stole more than 26 bases played under 100 games he could very realistically lead the league in steals next year i could easily see him going for an acuna type season i've seen people talking like 2050 but if he plays a whole season he could might make 30 60 like 25 60 I, I could easily see it in that ballpark uh he's somebody who we've talked about not you and i but the industry kind of talked about as maybe a first round pick a few months ago a couple months ago and then that kind of tailed off a little bit but 
he is going to be somebody like outside of the batting average, he's going to be providing ridiculous value. And I think a lot of that uh, could potentially come from steals. The rates we've seen are just ridiculous from Ellie De La Cruz. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that at all. That's what makes him such a interesting topic of, you know, projections, rankings, like ADP is going to be fun as we're starting to get draft champions drafts going already. Um, you mentioned the 13 homers, 35 steals, did it 235 because he struck out a ton in 98 games. Still super young. Maybe the strikeout weight increases. Even if it doesn't, you're looking at like a 25, like 70 guy, like you said, 25, 60 guy, which is nuts. So now we're talking Corbin Carroll uh, with a worse batting average. And so it, it becomes a very interesting conversation with Elliot the Cruz. It's such a tough one. Like in these early drafts, I'm having trouble picking him because I'm still so torn on what production level you're going to get. Because if it, like if he slumps even more, it can be dreadful because – most of his production, and I have to go back and look. I'm just totally speculating. Felt like it came in those first like month of the season that he played, and then he really hit the skids, like really hit the skids there for a bit. And like the the skids part was not great, obviously. So we have to kind of see how that plays out. But he's a, he's a fun one to me. There's always going to be someone in my drafts that are going to like him a lot more than me. So it's going to be tough to pay for him because there's people talking about second round value right now. And if he's twenty five seventy probably worth it so it, it, it becomes an interesting conversation i think he could realistically go in the second round to your point though uh, he did kind of tail off that first month he was up was june in 21 games he batted 307 he had three homers uh, he stole nine bases then in july 238 in august 198 and then to end off the year 202 in september so he did kind of tail off he did hold up some of the value there because he was stealing so many bases even at the end of the year he had 12 steals a couple of homers he still did have value we'll have to see how the progression works we'll have to see but the steals i think if you're like placing early bets uh i don't know what the odds would be but he could be somebody i could very easily see leading the league in stolen bases next year let's talk about some starting pitchers uh starting pitching is something that I think the the popular narrative going into last year was that you can kind of wait a little bit. You can wait and you can get your Zach Allens, your Kevin Gosmans, your Alec Manoa, RIP to those who believed in Manoa like myself. Uh, tough one. Definitely my worst take of the year was that Manoa was going to be like a top 15 SP. But it, you could have waited hypothetically for those type of names, uh, you know, Christian Javier, until we really pushed him up later on in drafts around the 60 or 70 pick range. And that was kind of the popular thing to do. I did that in a lot of leagues. Sometimes it was successful. Sometimes it wasn't. I was going into the conversation today thinking that I'm going to be talking about this uh, from a perspective of going into 2024, taking maybe not pocket aces, but going and getting an ace or two early on and not having to really worry about waiting. Just that was my first instinct. And then I saw our friend Nick Pollock today tweeted something out that was very interesting. 15 of the top 31 starting pitchers by ADP started over 24 games. That's that's not great. That's a lot of time missed. And he tweeted out it was like a fantasy pros uh, screenshot here of the of that top 30 pitchers by ADP, and all of them uh, pretty much are missing a bunch of time. So I don't know if my strategy is going to be to wait or to go early. I would have thought that that would be more my strategy to go early, but after seeing that, maybe it didn't really pay off. Maybe it did pay to wait, but at the end of the day how many guys are you going to hit on if you if you really wait so it is a it is a tricky question i'm rambling here but what are your thoughts right now uh regarding starting pitchers in general going into 2024 yeah i'm probably not going to deviate too far from what i do but it 2024 was a great example of um the craziness that starting pitching is and this is one thing that's why nick tweeted it it's something that he's been preaching forever was he likes to just wait 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 and build depth and i agree to an extent um 
like I've, I've obviously recorded plenty of shows with Toby, Mr. Pocket Aces himself, and I understand his argument. Like we've talked about it many times, and he's he's laid it all out there, and I get it. At the same time, you're starting to see year after year after year that the um, turnover is not ideal, as that uh, tweet came out with starting pitching. So what what I've been doing lately is instead of being like, hey, I need to get pocket aces, I'm like, okay, I need at least one, like one of my top 10 guys or so. And then like, I start putting them in clumps, basically, like like tiers, but I don't call them tiers so much because it, it's kind of like, you know, there's the glob that Spore and Scott White talk about. And, everything, and it's legit. Like we all talked about the same thing. They just named it something really cool because I've said it forever. There's like, there's like 30 dudes that are just all kind of the same. Just how do you want to approach it? Um, so what, what my kind of idea is through like five rounds, I want at least one, preferably two, if I could get two, but at least one for sure. Like, dude, I just know I'm going to put in the lineup every week, barring just something stupid happening. And that's how it's going to be. And then after that, it's more like, okay, from rounds six to 10, maybe go and be a little more aggressive at the top end of the glob and then kind of like pace it out that way where it's maybe don't go so heavy early go get the elite bats because that's another part of the tweet nick mentioned i thought that was really really important that i do 100 percent agree with the quality of bats you can find some later in drafts yes but it's more replacement level bats where you can still find third or fourth quote-unquote pitchers that if they figure things out become number twos type stuff yeah. and that can be tremendous where you're you're only re- you're begging for injuries for a lot of these bats to become elite starting bats. There's a different situation there. The pitcher still has opportunity every fifth day where the hitter might not. It's kind of the long-winded way of uh, shrinking that down for you. Um, so that was one of the bigger takeaways I, I got from that, that I think people, when people are, are like, oh, you got to go pitch early or you got to wait, whatever. That one little sentence that he mentioned about the hitters versus the pitcher quality, I think is one of the biggest take-homes that, people should go to again i went long-winded on this so with what you were saying with your question i'm probably staying the same and i'm gonna go like an ace or quasi ace and then kind of build depth that direction that's what's knock on wood fared me well but in the end he mentioned how many guys started 24 games you can't predict injuries and the way baseball is these days with all these guys starting to trying to throw so hard they're all getting hurt now it's just like cross your fingers and pray type stuff yeah, I think it was David Cohn who said something recently that he just said, like, everybody's going to hurt, but he doesn't, I'm paraphrasing, he can't blame them because that's just kind of what they have to do to keep up these days, just try that's and get, get paid. the extra kilometer, the extra mile. <laughs> that's the Canadian coming out saying kilometers instead of miles. <laughs> um, yeah, get those extra ticks on the fastball. Uh, that's how they get paid. That's how they stay in the league. I think we do have to resign ourselves, too, to some degree, that there is a huge, huge element of luck in this. And I know that people who who play a lot know this, but... I think we go into the season thinking like we know this. These these players are solid because of whatever arguments we have. And a lot of the time, I think we think we're always going to be right. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of that. But we have to also look at just the injuries themselves and say, it's a dumb luck. If you took Garrett Cole and Spencer Strider as your two aces at the beginning of your drafts, you were, you're fine. And you, you look at the tweet from Nick and you say, well, it doesn't matter to me if that was your league. If you took Sandy Alcantara and Jacob DeGrom as your two pitches early, then you're thinking, well, Nick is, Nick is really right. So it, it really is just total random chaos at the same time of we put through, we put in the effort, we go through the process of evaluating players and everything, but we also have to remember that it's just going to blow up sometimes. And we saw it this year with starting pitchers. I don't know if it's usually this bad, but I don't think it is uh, in yeah. terms of starting pitchers. So we just have to kind of resign ourselves to the fact that 
there's going to be some some injuries that happen that we have absolutely no way uh, of controlling, which I know most of us do know. But at the end of the day, uh, it's good to remind ourselves that this isn't all our fault. There are some teams where you draft Sandy early and you might have even got him at a bargain and you just got mm-hmm. screwed because one injury, two performance. Uh, there's so many different factors that go into this. I have no idea where I stand on starting pitching as of right now. I guess it all de- determines uh, where the board shakes out, too, if guys are where they're going. Uh, I don't know. Do we have any early ADP yet from the NFC? Not, not yet. They got to finish the draft to get the ADP because they're all slow drafts right now. So I'd imagine another week or two we'll start having some DCs come through there. Um, one more nugget, though, on my thought process for it, and it's kind of a, a flip side. With all the injuries these days and the constant turnover at starting pitching, I think it will make me more aggressive on pitchers on the fab market than I've been in a long time. Uh, and that can be a detriment, too. We've seen that work out, not work out. You, there's you, there's conversations on both sides of that. But, like, early in the season, when, if a guy's coming in for someone that got hurt and so you might be able to sneak out, like, 15 to 20 more starts, I need to kind of up my ante on that scenario, I think. Yeah, uh, it's it was especially, and we'll, I'll kind of use this as to segue into the next topic, is these rookies that came up, these rookie pitchers that we had that were a lot of the time going for three-digit fab prices, you know, a quarter or more of your total fab value, $200, $250, whatever it is. And there was a pretty decent hit rate if you were able to get one of those Tanner Bybees, uh, Logan Allen, Gavin Williams, um, those are just, you know, Yuri Perez, Andrew Abbott was really good for a while. There was a pretty solid hit rate on these pitchers. Like, let's say Grayson Rodriguez got dropped in your league and you picked him up when he came back. A lot of these rookies really, really paid off, specifically the pitchers. There were also some rookie uh, batters, of course, that did pay off as well. But specifically, I think pitching this year really stood out to me. We're not prospect guys. But what do you think in general uh, is going to be the trend in terms of the rookie, specifically the pitchers? Like, do you think we're going to continue to see this crop come up consistently, uh, come up earlier than they would have over the last couple of seasons? Now, will teams push these guys up to the majors sooner than we might have seen in the past? Will there just be constant a constant stream of of goodies in the fab market going forward? Because that's what it was this year. Every week there was there was a goodie to bid on. Are we going to continue to see that? You think? Yes, to an extent. Uh, I don't know how they can possibly have this many next year, but then again, I've heard some smart people that are prospect guys explain that with the new rules and all these different things and teams are realizing uh, it's the old saying that we always yelled at like the Twitter handles and stuff, but it never worked is there's only so many bullets in the gun and everyone's going to get hurt. So what are we waiting for? It's like teams are starting to kind of acknowledge that in a weird way. It's like, Hey, I'd rather them come up here and throw a hundred innings in the pros and go get Tommy John surgery than do it in AAA. At least give me my money's worth type scenario. It seems like that's kind of the transition. Could be totally wrong. That's just kind of discussions I've had with other people that make a ton of sense. I'll say that much. Like I would be doing that in a heartbeat. If like if I see um Yuri Perez is as elite as he is, I don't care he's 20. I don't care he's in double A. What are we doing? Like why? And it worked out great. Now again, Tosh Bradley struggled a ton. The talent was there. Talent was definitely there. You could see it early struggles. So that's the, th- the toughest part, I guess, with these prospects, hitters and pitchers. They're all going to struggle e- even after like Yuri Perez – or not Yuri, um, Dela Cruz we talked about. Great. Then the struggles happened. Not as many. There's There were some, obviously. There's not as many that are going to be amazing the whole way. So that's what makes it tricky too. But to your question about the pitching, I think it continues. My kind of tongue-in-cheek question I've had for prospect guys is how many pitchers are left? 
that's my like I, in reality but i guess they just keep you know you, you draft so many every year and you got guys and injuries happen and blah 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 so there's there's always some but that's why i said to an extent yes i think we still will see more than we're used to in years past i just don't know if we can match this magnitude every single year yeah we might have cleaned out the closet a little that's bit that's like, kind of what i'm thinking they might be like in rookie ball right now where yeah. it might be a little too soon type stuff <laughs> off the top of my head there's tiedemann uh because obviously is a blue jay guy but he's also i think uh, arguably the number one pitching prospect for a lot of people skeins yeah. uh, i'm not sure if he's going to be up next year i'm guessing probably he next should year be. he should be yeah. injured painter um i'm not sure how he's going to be after his i think he had tommy john yeah, tj he? yeah so there's there's a couple off the top of my head i'm sure there's more but yeah there was so many that came up this year maybe it's not going to be uh as flush as it was Still ridiculous, just absolutely yeah. ridiculous value that we were able to get out of these guys too. I think the hit rate was probably off the top of my head like 70-75%. And if you, you know, go over to the bats, there was the Dela Cruz's, there was Matt McClain, McClain. Geloff, uh, Nolan Jones. Nolan Jones, well, he's not a rookie. Is he a rookie? He's a rookie. Because yep. he got some at bats. He's 25 years old. People like I've mentioned this on Bubba and the Bloom. People forget that because he's just with the Rockies and he's Rockies are Rockies and all this stuff. The dude's 25 years old. He's super young. Like it's beautiful thing it's crazy i forgot he was a rookie and i guess it's just because he's older than a couple of these other guys that's because we're used to like the angels calling these guys up uh pretty much the day after they get drafted uh interesting trends uh i wonder if that will be something we see more as well guys getting called up in their draft year that's not something i really ever remember growing up the year they got drafted maybe there was the odd one but the angels did it with a couple of guys i think right shanuel and was it um the shortstop Uh, netto right Neto was there, and then they called up another kid this year, but I don't know if he was if he was newly drafted. But yeah, Chanel for sure it was like three weeks after he got drafted. Here he comes, which is insane to think about. Like if if I was that kid, like I'm in college, and I'm like doing college things, yeah. <laughs> and three weeks later I'm I'm in Anaheim. Like this is bonkers type yeah. stuff. But another thing, uh, another uh, some prospect guys mentioned. This was the Welsh I was talking to. You've had on the show a few times. Um, he said the other angle, which makes a lot of sense, and you're seeing it, like if you really break it down, a lot of the quote-unquote cheaper teams are calling up more of these young guys than more expensive teams, if that makes sense, because mm-hmm. they're trying to do the raise mantra of, hey, bring them up early, give them a taste of this, and maybe lock them into a deal that's cheaper now than waiting until they become eligible, which, again, makes a ton of sense too. So um, I think there's a lot of – you know, we're thinking just the talent side of things, but obviously this is a business, and I think there's a lot more to it than we think. So, again, I'm just spouting off. I could, I haven't counted and actually seen how many, but if you think about it, Marlins, Rays, Reds, like uh, Angels, you start just putting them in your head. A lot of them aren't on good teams. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, the only ones I can really think of off the top of my head on good teams were like uh, Miller coming up for the Dodgers. Yep. Um, and Sheehan. Sheehan wasn't amazing or anything, really. Um, but outside like the of guardians those, pitchers the guardians are cheap guardians are cheap yeah <laughs> all them. so yeah not many uh not many of those high spenders no you're right not many of the really high spending teams and maybe it's because they've already plugged a lot of those holes with those a uh, couple hundred million dollar men you know there's not many room yeah. not much room for the padres to be calling up uh too many too many guys there or the mets yeah. or i mean the mets did uh they did actually to their credit call up a couple of guys not that it worked out so well but you can look at pretty much every team and there's a couple of examples of I mean, I could go through it, and maybe I should go through it at one point. There's probably one, at least one prospect who came up and had some kind of fantasy contribution from every team in baseball this year. Pretty yeah, much, that's pretty fair. Like, yeah, it, if I'd say at least 
eighty percent, if not all of them. Like you're somewhere in that range for sure. I, I wouldn't be shocked if it's at least one from every team. You're probably right. Yeah, even if it's like Toronto, if you got on David Schneider for a couple of weeks there, yep. you might have done. You know, he had to get out at the right time because he went over thirty five or whatever afterwards. But crazy, crazy year uh, for prospects. Just ridiculous. Uh, I do want to talk about closers as well because closers. I know there's always a lot of talk about where to take closers, and we saw some some crazy prices, and we saw some of those gladiator drafts closers going in the first round. I know it's a different kind of format, but just ridiculous prices people were paying, and yet, unless you took Edwin Diaz or Liam Hendricks in an early draft, you they paid off pretty damn well. All the save leaders were those chalky guys, pretty much. I can't really think of any other real busts ryan helsley was injured for part of the year but he you know was still really good when he was out he there finished strong too yeah he finished really strong mm-hmm. there was a lot of chalky closers and it makes me wonder are we drafting these guys in the right rounds are we taking these closers and early enough are we taking them too soon should we wait a little bit i i really don't know but they're paying off where they are but generally do you think we're skewing a little bit too early with second round closers i know that they're paying off but what, what's your what's your thought process right now on uh, the relief pitcher market well, for those that uh, are watching these early drafts, DCs, people will still take early because you want stability, quote unquote. That's yeah. one thing I always have to emphasize because you see so many questions on it, and that's a whole other thing. But in redrafts, like you're going to be starting a redraft soon, a 15-team league, um, I think I think people are going to stay the course and go early. Uh, is that the right answer? I don't know. Like I'm looking at saves right now. 12 guys had 30 or more saves outside of – Carlos Estevez, they are all pretty early picks, as you mentioned, um, at least like top 20 closer picks. So that's pretty darn good. Uh, there were 20 players of 22 or more saves. All of them are drafted except by Will Smith or Edward Alzelay, who are 19th and 20th on that list. So it it comes down, if you can do this, I guess what it, it means more so is I think people that like to take closers early for their, their reasons will take closers early. I don't think that changes. I think what it allows is maybe instead of, a third of your league, maybe half your league now, just pounds the middle rounds. I think it's one of those things. I think guys will still be aggressive because the idea of getting like 35-plus saves is pretty sweet because uh, it also allows you to only need maybe two closers instead of three, which is, is pretty good. So it's all about uh, how your comfort level is the best way I can say it. I, I don't think there's a rhyme or reason to it. I think I'll still do the strategy I've done every single year and knock on wood. It usually works out well as long as you avoid an injury. It's I try to get one of my top five or six, and then I go and get like two guys that round out my top 20 somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And I just, and I'm cool with getting three closers and hoping it works out. And knock on wood, it works out majority of the time. Uh, everyone's got their angles. I know a lot of guys that almost treat closers like getting pocket closers instead of pocket aces, and that's their deal. And more power to them. But uh, I think, I think you might see a few guys in every league kind of step back from being aggressive on closers. At the same time, I don't know if this happens two years in a row because this is this was really, really rare, it felt like, for the closing situation. Yeah, we generally didn't see too many injuries. I mean, Felix Batista did get hurt, but outside of him off the top of my head, I can't think of another huge one. I mean, I said Helsley earlier. Mostly these guys, you drafted them pretty early. They returned sub-3 ERAs, close to 30 saves. They gave you 80-some-odd strikeouts. It was it was great years. It was It was really hard uh to see that coming i know for somebody like i did rankings last year for the first time pitchers were the hardest to do but relief pitchers specifically are so difficult to really get your head around as of right now i don't even know who i'd put as the number one closer going into next year who do you have any thoughts on that off the top i know i wasn't in the sheet i put it but i just i can't even think of who would be number one at this point with batista out yeah um 
you still got to love Emmanuel Classe just because of what he does year in and year out. The strikeouts were down, which was weird, but he continued yeah. to get the job done. What's going to be a lot of fun is Edwin Diaz. Edwin Diaz will be back. And he was like the 1B to Classe's 1A. And the thing with Diaz, it was anything. It had nothing to do with his arm or his shoulder or anything. So it's one of those, like, and he was throwing high 90s to end the season in his bullpens. Like, he's ready to rock and roll come spring training. Edwin Diaz deserves to be in that top conversation. I think many will shy away from it because he didn't play a season. But to me, it was a knee thing. I'm not as concerned with it. But I agree. It, it is it is interesting because it's so grouped together. Like, Bednar never gets his love. Camilo yeah. Duvall, people will like, but they'll still be nervous. Uh, I think Edwin Diaz will get uh, some love, and rightfully so. Yeah, I don't know that there's like a, a chalky number one right mm-hmm. now. There will be people who are going to be worried coming off the injury. People will be worried about Classe with the down strikeouts. Now, Classe was the only closer to have 40 saves. He had 44, still a 322 ERA. And, you know, by his lofty standards, it was kind of a down year. But yeah, Bednar, there's always talk of him. Uh, I'm not sure about his contract situation. But there's always talk of him getting traded. I'm not sure if he re upped or not. But Alexis Diaz is going to be pretty interesting. Devin Williams gave you 36 saves and a 1.53 ERA. There's, I think he might be the the early front runner in my mind. But it's going to be interesting. Uh, this offseason is going to be crazy uh, going through everything. It's it's a huge process, man. Like it's it's yeah. my first. I so when I first started the show it was 2022, and I didn't have that real off season. I still did my fantasy baseball prep, but it reached a different level when I started doing the podcast, which you can probably understand there. You just put a little bit more work into it. You start writing articles, editing articles, and all that. So I didn't really have that off season. Last year was my first off season to kind of digest it, and now I feel a lot more comfortable digging through the data and not taking any time off. It's 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 going to be a huge process. What do you got to say just to people who are trying to like? digest the season people who are trying to understand the stats look ahead to next year what kind of advice can you give to people who are just trying to look because there's a lot there are so many stats it's hard to really know exactly where to go with all the different websites uh how can you how can you narrow it down for people trying to just get it all i'd say start with the kiss method keep it simple stupid like really just really take the the bare minimums um like find your stats you love like ryan and i talk about a pitching we love k to walks um you know, hitting, I like looking at quality of contact sometimes, but also, you know, guys that miss swing, uh, swing and strike rate a lot with hitters is a big deal too. But um, keep it simple. Maybe go by positions. Maybe go by just second half. Like think about what you're trying to discover, I guess, instead of trying to do the whole thing at once. Narrow down like, hey, am I looking for, you know, what rookie played the best in September? Okay, that's simple. Keep it and then ex- expand from there type thing and take it along because there's a ton there's a ton and you can get lost quickly but if you just like slowly expand it out you'll start being able to slowly add other stats and metrics involved other websites after that point um one thing i love to do just to kind of look back on 2020 like let's be 2023 of course i like going to the rasball player raider and it's free and i like just going through my position like the top x amount at each position and you'll get some surprise names that make you want to dig in on that player not so much the entire like group and that's where I start finding different guys that I might be more interested in next year or in things like that. And that kind of stands out for me, at least in those regards. Yeah. Keeping it simple is definitely great because like I, like I alluded to, there is probably too much data at this point. I don't, I'm not anti analytics at all, but there's almost too much for the average fan. Like if they go onto fan graphs and scroll through a player page, there's a hell of a lot there to, to consume. So yeah, keep it simple. Look at strikeout and walk rates. Look at how hard the guys hitting the ball they're getting extremely lucky if they had a you know if they have a 
290 career BABIP and they had a 360 BABIP this year, they're probably not going to do that again. Uh, you know, certain things like that. <clears throat> we'll talk it through throughout the offseason. But Bubba, I really appreciate you joining me here, man. It's been a while. I think the last time I had you on was before the season. I think it was on, uh, with you and Mace when we talked about the yeah. Giants. Yep. So it's great to have you on again. Uh, you do a lot of great work. And I want to let everybody, uh, let you tell everybody where you can be found. Because there's a hell of a lot. Uh, if you go to BDentric on Twitter, there's a hell of a lot there. But I'm going to let you tell everybody where you can be found and all you got going on. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a while. And just, Justin and I were kind of right on the Giants a little bit. It was They did better than we thought they'd do, but we were right on what they did very wrong. That's for sure. But um, you can find me on Twitter at BDentrick, B-D-E-N-T-R-E-K. Uh, the Bench with Bubba podcast is going to be coming at you at least once, if not two to three times a week during the offseason. I got some ideas coming there. Uh, Bubba in the Bloom with Ryan Bloomfield. We record on Thursday nights. We're going to start doing twice a week after first pitch Arizona. We have some ideas there as well. Um, and then I'll be doing some gain of the edge fantasy with Curlin, Simeone, and Jorge Montanez. And right now, you know, season's over, so no HQ, no for, no uh, pitcher list and stuff. So pretty pretty small for me actually. But you'll probably find me on the black book and doing a bunch of other goofy stuff. So I'll be around. And um, like like Joe said, just follow my Twitter and I tweet all my content out there. Probably more than most people care to see, but it's out there. No, you do great work. It's great to see people who put in a hell of a lot of work and see you get rewarded. Uh, you had a pretty good fantasy season, did you not? Pretty good year? Yeah, not bad. After a rough year last year, won a couple DCs, um, finished uh, one in Tout Daily, finished half a point out in Tout Wars, the other regular season league, uh, finished in third in an OC, which I was about half a point out of first until Wicks got blown up on Saturday by the Brewers a depleted Brewers lineup. That was a punch to the gut right there, but that's baseball in a nutshell. It, it was a good season. That could have been a lot better. I'll say that much, but um, that's the breaks. It's a, it's such a long year. A lot of goofy stuff will take place. Hey, you take it. You win a few leagues. It's better than I could say this year. It was the worst year I had playing fantasy. I think in my whole life. So that's why I'm starting prep early for 2024. Uh, it's great to talk to you, man. We'll have you back on. Probably talk some giants again uh, throughout this off season and anything mm-hmm. else uh, fantasy baseball related, but Go check out Bubba at BDNTREK, B-D-E-N-T-R-E-K over on Twitter. You can find me over at Joe Orico 99 We're both going to be coming at you with podcasts multiple times a week throughout the offseason, so make sure you guys are checking out our work. Rate, review the show if you haven't done so already. really helps out. helps other people find the show, especially this time of year when people start to completely tune out baseball. You guys can really help out there. So that'll do it for us. We'll be back tomorrow. We will talk about some pitcher rankings. We're going to start going through it because we are crazy here. Uh, but until then, take care, everybody. Have a great night. Cheers. Yeah.